Our last topic here for tonight is entitled Revelation's World of Tomorrow. And before we get into God's word this evening, let's go ahead and bow our heads once more for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have been with us, Lord, throughout our Unlocking Prophecy series, Lord, and throughout our lives, Lord, you've been leading us and guiding us step by step, day by day, moment by moment. And Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that every every good and perfect gift comes from you, Lord. Every, every good thing, Lord, that we've ever learned from scripture is because of you and because you've given us understanding, because you've revealed yourself to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that now, Lord. We pray that as we talk about heaven and the new earth, we pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and that you would help us to have a desire more than anything else, Lord, to be there with you in heaven someday soon, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is heaven really like? There seems to be a lot of confusion in our world today about heaven. Uh, one day, a variety of people were interviewed and they asked what they thought heaven would be like. And here's what a few of them said. One of the teenagers said, heaven, man, that's pie in the sky out there somewhere. Unreal, man. I can't fathom it. A middle-aged woman out grocery shopping said, heaven is a state of mind. It's an inner peace. It's a state of calm. A successful businessman said, heaven is my house. You should see it. It's worth $3 million. My chariot is my Lexus, and the kids are my angels. <laughs> A college student said, heaven is, are you so out of touch that you still believe in those fairy tales? An elderly couple said, we hope that heaven is a real place. The older we get, the more we long for it. We just hope that what we were taught in our childhood is true. Here we see so many different people with so many different views about heaven. So many people are confused on this topic, but really it's, it's very plain in scripture. This building behind me is the United States Treasury Building in Washington, D.C. Now, I've been told that there are around 1,800 doors in this building. That's a lot of doors, isn't it? And uh, each door has its own lock. So that means it takes 1,800 keys, you know, to get into every room here. But the superintendent of this building has one master key, and it's a key that will unlock all 1,800 doors. And friends, the Bible is like that master key. It reveals to us the truth, and the truth will set us free. Amen? As we've seen and as we've studied the truth in these presentations, I, I pray and hope and pray that it has been a blessing to you as you've seen the truth uh, more clearly. The Bible tells us a bit about what heaven will be like. It also tells us about the new earth. Fortunately, we don't have to depend upon man's series. We don't have to go out and, and check out every book in the library or every uh, book in the bestseller list at the store on heaven. We can just go to God's word. Amen? We, because the Bible is our rule of faith. It's reliable and trustworthy. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which we do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So God has given his prophets a special glimpse into the glories of heaven. What does the prophetic words say about heaven? 
Well, first it promises that the earth will be restored to beauty and perfection, the beauty and perfection that it had back in the beginning, back in Eden. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Now I saw, this is John speaking, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So here the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about Eden restored, Eden made new. Think about what the Garden of Eden was like, friends. It was a perfect environment. There was no sin. There was no pollution. There was no death or destruction. There was pure air. There was bright sunshine, perfect weather all of the time. The trees were beautiful and bore delicious fruits. You would never eat a bad apple or a bad watermelon. Everything was perfect. Flowers perfumed in the air, and the beauty there was indescribable. All of nature was in harmony, perfect harmony, the way God intended it to be. The birds and animals were not afraid of Adam and Eve. In fact, they, they flocked to them. They came to them and were not afraid. There was love, joy, and companionship in that garden. There was no taint of sickness or suffering or disease. None of the things that we experience on this earth, none of the pain was there in the beginning. Then the Bible says that there was an intruder that came into that garden, and he suggested to Eve that sin would bring her greater happiness than obedience. Eve fell for that lie, and tragically, our planet has fallen into rebellion and sin. The sad drama of sin pierced a sword through the hearts of Adam and Eve. And as they saw that first animal die, that for that first sacrifice, it, it was a sacrifice that was pointing them forward to the coming of the Messiah. And they understood that the wages of sin was death when they saw that first animal slain. Their blood-stained hands and the slain sacrifice pointed forward to the blood-stained hands of Jesus Christ. They pointed forward to the cross and his infinite sacrifice for you and for me, for our sins. Down through the centuries and in each, succeed, each succeeding generation, the human race has been contaminated with sin. Sin multiplied rapidly, and as it did, men and women began to worship idols. Disobedience flourished. Then we see that God destroyed the world with a worldwide cataclysmic flood. Yet God's people, a very small number, eight people, got on the ark and were preserved in that ark of safety. And, and, and mankind was once again given another chance. And then throughout the centuries after the flood, there has always been a people. God has always had a people, a royal line of faith in every generation. There have been people that have been faithful to God. And these faithful men and women focused their eyes on another country. They believed that this earth was not their home. This was not their final dwelling place. They believed that there was something better, something better than the suffering and the disease and the death that we experience on this earth. One of those men was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham's eyes were fixed on eternity. He set his sight on another world. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 says, For he, that is Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is who? God. God. He looked forward to that city, friends, and you can too. Amen? Then that royal line of faith continued in the life of Moses. Moses was a captive uh, slave there uh, in the land of Pharaoh. All, all the Israelites were slaves 
And uh, he was there in Pharaoh's house. And he was destined to be the Pharaoh of Egypt. But the Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Friends, sin has pleasure, but it is very temporary. It is very temporary. It is short-lived. It leaves men and women broken and bruised. Moses chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Instead, he chose to esteem the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked forward to what? The reward. He looked forward to the reward of heaven. He looked forward to the reward of being with his creator, God. The passage continues in verse 13 and 14, speaking of these faithful men and women of God. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having, them seen, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. We, like that royal line of faith, can embrace the promise, friends. We can cherish that promise. When down seems up and up seems down, when your head is spinning, when the bills are mounting up, when your life is falling apart, hold on to the promises of God. Amen? Hold on to the promises of his word. Friends, this world is not our home. We are simply just passing through. Hebrews 11 verse 16 says, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. There is something beyond this earth, friends. We are simply pilgrims and strangers on this earth. And we must keep eternity in view. There are so many things that are, are out there to distract us, to keep our minds off of eternity, to keep our minds off of the plan of God for our lives. But we need to remember, we need to focus on what God has for us. Amen? Focus on the plan that he has for us. Keep eternity in view. This gives us hope and it gives us confidence that heaven is on its way. When a terrorist bomb explodes in the streets and blows off arms and legs, and, we, and when we see bloodied bodies in the streets of our cities, you know that this world is not your home. When you visit a cancer ward in the hospital and you see a boy seven years old dying of leukemia, you know that this world is not your home. When you see loved ones of friends, people that you grew up with, doing drugs and ruining their lives, you know that this world is not your home. When you see a young couple whose baby was born dead, you cry with them and you know that this world is not your home. When you see a spouse cheat on their partner of 25 years and they go through a painful divorce and it splits up the family, you know that this world is not your home. When you see devastating images of tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes that rip through towns, you know that this world is not your home. When you see news reports of starving children in third world countries, you know that this world is not your home. We were made for a better place, friends. With Christ, you are a citizen of a better place. You're just a pilgrim here. This place is just temporary, and sometimes we forget that. This place is just temporary. It's short-lived, 
but we have eternity to look forward to. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for who? For them, for you, for me. This city is a city that God has prepared for us, and it's beyond our wildest imaginations. Heaven is a real place, friends. It's not make-believe. It's not something that's just, it's, fi it's not fiction. It's true. The story, there's a story of uh, Marco Polo, uh, the Italian explorer who returned to his home from China after being there for 21 years in the Orient. His friends had thought that he had gone mad. He had such incredible tales to tell. He said that he had traveled to a city full of silver and gold, that he had seen black stones that burned. They hadn't heard of coal before. They had seen that he had seen cloth that refused to catch on fire even when thrown in the flames. They had never heard of asbestos. He talked about huge serpents that were 10 paces long with jaws wide enough to swallow a man. They had never seen a crocodile. He told of nuts the size of a man's hand. They had never seen coconuts. The people just laughed at such wild stories, they thought. But years later, as Marco Polo was dying, a devout man was there at his bedside, and he urged Marco Polo to confess all the tales that he had told. But Marco refused. He said, it's all true. Every single bit of it, it's all true. In fact, the half of it was not told. Friends, words are not adequate to express the beauties of heaven and the beauties of the new earth. As Marco Polo said, the half has not been told. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear, nor." ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Imagine the most fantastic painting by the most renowned artist. Heaven is way more beautiful than that. Imagine the most glorious symphony and the most fantastic chamber orchestra. Heaven's music is going to be much, much better than that. Imagine feeling warm and loved and secure, yet heaven's love is greater still. Imagine the deepest joy that you could possibly have on this earth and realize that heaven's joy is infinitely more. Imagine a heart that is at peace and at rest, yet heaven's claim is greater peace and greater rest. Imagine the most wonderful fellowship that we can experience on this earth, the most open sharing, the most honest communication with, with friends, those heart-to-heart -heart talks. But God's communication in heaven with us will be even more intimate than what we can experience on this earth. Revelation gives a description of that holy city, and it is breathtaking. John was actually given a vision of the holy city coming down from heaven to planet earth. John wrote this in Revelation 21, verse 2. He said, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who prepared this city? God prepared this city. And why does the Bible say that it's, it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband? Well, because God wants you to know that he's preparing something special 
for you, something more amazing than you can imagine. As a groom watches his bride walk down the aisle, his heart thrills with delight. And even so, God's own heart thrills with delight as he contemplates his glorious return and being reunited with his people in a world made new. It's interesting that Revelation uses a a wedding atmosphere to describe this. It's festive, it's filled with joy, it's filled with happiness. And as the holy city descends to a remade earth, it's the most festive event in the universe. The Bible describes the glories of the holy city in this way. Revelation 21, 14 says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Friends, who were the 12 apostles? Well, there was Thomas who doubted. There was Peter who denied Christ. There were James and John, the sons of what? The sons of thunder. The disciples were common, ordinary men like you and like me. They were men Uh, They are like men and women in our society today. They had their doubts. They had their fears. They had their weaknesses just like you and I do. These followers of Christ were people with, with their faults, but their names are on the foundation of the holy city of God, the new Jerusalem. Why? Well, friends, it's because I believe God is saying to us, if they can make it, so can we. If they can go in, then by God's grace, you can go in as well. Heaven is not a place for just a few select, super spiritual elite people. Heaven is a place for sinners that are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Amen? The Bible continues describing this city. In Revelation 21, 16, it says, The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. So there are four sides, and each side has three gates. There are three on the north, there are three on the south, there are three on the east, and three on the west. Now, most cities in the ancient world had very few gates. And why do you think that was? They didn't want enemies to come in, right? It was their safety to have just one gate. They were able to keep enemies out. But heaven's goal is to get as many people in as possible. They will come from the north, they will come from the south, they will come from the east, in the West. People of every ethnicity will come. All of the redeemed sinners will be there. God is saying, whoever you are, you can make it in through one of those gates. God is saying, I'm not going to build a city with all walls. I'm I'm going to build a city with gates because gates are what let people in. And God says, I want to get as many people into the city as possible. It continues, it says, And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. This square city is 1,500 miles in circumference, 375 miles on each side. One mathematician estimated that the New Jerusalem could house 2 billion people just on the ground floor. If we use magnificent multi-story buildings, the possibilities are endless. In other words, friends, there will be plenty of room in heaven for you and your loved ones and your neighbors. Amen? There will be plenty of room for all that desire to be there, that all, all that want to have a relationship with Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 1 to 3, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are what? 
many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a promise, friends. What a promise that Christ will come again. And he's coming back for you, and he's coming back for me, and he wants to take us to be with him for all of eternity. He's got a place for us, whether it's a wonderful, beautiful mansion, or even if it was just a little room or a tent, I would be okay as long as I'm there, amen? (laughs) Whatever it is, I will be happy with it. The city itself will be at least the size of Colorado, The book of Revelation describes the holy city as a fantastic, magnificent city. The streets of the city are built out of pure gold. Revelation 21, 21 says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was was of one pearl. Why 12 gates? Why 12 pearls? Well, friends, the Bible talks about Jesus being the pearl of great price. And there's no way to get into heaven except through him, except through Christ. Jesus is enough to get us into to any one of those gates into the city. The Bible says, and the streets of the city were like pure gold, like transparent glass. Friends, God is so rich. He has so much gold that he actually uses it to pave the roads. Amen? <laughs> the roads are paved in gold in heaven. You and I may not have much here on this earth. We may not have worldly riches, But friends, God has something up there in heaven for us that is absolutely amazing. It's going to be incredible. Why is this city so lavish? Why is it so beautiful? Why does God use the most precious and most expensive jewels as found in the 12 foundations of his city? Well, friends, the city is so valuable because you are so valuable to God. The city contains so much wealth because you are so precious to Christ. He left all of heaven to come and save you and I. What wondrous love. God uses precious stones to tell us how precious we are to him. If a city like that existed anywhere on this earth today, everyone would be packing up their belongings and they would be moving to this city, trying to get reservations on the next plane regardless of the cost. But here's the good news, friends. Soon this city will be the capital of the earth made new. As this brilliant city descends toward the earth, fire flashes down from heaven and it destroys the wicked and it purifies this planet once and for all. The surface of the earth becomes a lake of fire, the Bible says. And all the reminders of sin and and this sin-scarred world will be swept away. But after those flames, Revelation tells us that a new heaven and the new earth will appear. The new Jerusalem settles down on a brand new, perfect planet that God has recreated for you and for me. And this new world bursts with life just as the Garden of Eden once did. Its river of life flows crystal clear. The tree of life bears an abundance of fruit. It's something that we can look forward to, something that we can uh, experience together. The prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of what heaven will be like. He says in Isaiah 35, 1, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. 
Friends, there will be songs of rejoicing in heaven. There will be songs of gladness. The earth will be made over again, just like the Garden of Eden, carpeted with living green. The scenery will be fantastic. The beauty will be unimaginable. Imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been to on this planet and imagine that it's going to be infinitely better in heaven on and on the new earth. Imagine drinking water and it's fresh from the fountain of life. Imagine eating fruit and it's from the tree of life. Imagine living in an atmosphere with incredible love. But have you ever wondered when we get to heaven, what kind of bodies will we have in Eden? Are we going to have these old bodies? What will our physical condition be like in the new earth? Well, some people have the idea that that the redeemed are just spirit beings, but it doesn't make that much sense, does it? Let's see what the Bible says. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to what? His glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So when Jesus Christ was resurrected, did he have a body? Yes, he did. It was a glorious, resurrected, immortal body. There are a number of experiences that Jesus had after his resurrection that reveal that he had a real, recognizable body. When Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that Jesus kept them from recognizing him at that moment. Why? It was because he had a lesson to teach them. He wanted to give them that Bible study. But it says that when he broke bread with the disciples, that their eyes were opened. And they recognized Jesus' unique mannerisms. Friends, in heaven, your friends will recognize you by your unique mannerisms. On resurrection morning, Mary recognized Jesus only when he called out her name. Through the midst Through the mist of the morning, she could not see him clearly, but she recognized the voice of Jesus. Friends, I believe that your loved ones will recognize you by the intonation of your voice. When Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, they recognized him immediately. They knew his physical form. Your friends will also recognize you by your physical form. Yes, you will have a new body though, amen? And it won't be the old body that that, that we have now. We won't have the aches and the pains that we experience, uh, but they will be perfect. You will have a similar personality in heaven to the personality that you have right now because God wants to save you. You see, if God sent Jesus Christ to die for you, it's you that he wants. And you're the only you that's possible to God. He can, he can, make, he can make someone that looks like you but he couldn't, he couldn't make you. You, if you're not there, would leave a complete hole in, in God's heart for all of eternity, friends. Wouldn't it be strange if Christ paid the infinite price to die for you and for me, and then he totally changed your personality and physical features to make that, those things that make you unique when he takes you to heaven? It's your love that God wants. It's your personality that he wants. So we will recognize, I believe we will recognize when we get to heaven, we'll recognize one another by our unique mannerisms, our voice intonations, our individual personalities that God will preserve. 
but there will be no taint of sin or disease afflicting you. Here is God's promise in Isaiah 33:24. It says, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Friends, God will open up the mouths of people that are unable to talk now, and their tongues will be loosed so that they can sing the praises of God. Think of the joy that they will experience in that moment. Wheelchairs will be gone. Crutches will be gone. New life will be uh, flowing through our veins. There will be joy and happiness everywhere. We need to hear about heaven, I believe, over and over again, friends, because we tend to forget about it, don't we? We tend to forget about how good it's going to be, how wonderful it's going to be with the cares of life that we experience in this, in this earth. We get so absorbed in the moment, in the daily grind of life, that we lose our focus on eternity, our focus on God. But God says, come and look another time. Look at another time and another place. Look at another world and get your perspective back in line. Revelation chapter 24, sorry, 21 verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Hallelujah. No more sorrow, no more crying. No more calls at 1 a.m. in the morning saying that your child was in a car accident. No more calls that your best friend died of a heart attack. No more calls that your mother is wasting away from cancer. It will be gone. Those things will be finished and over. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. They will be gone once and for all. There will be a new heaven and a new earth where, where righteousness dwells, the Bible says. Revelation 22, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The water of life represents the life of, of God that satisfies every need. Just as nothing quenches your thirst like water, nothing quenches the inner need for God like God himself. Nothing quenches our spiritual need like God. No matter how, how much you are appreciated today on this earth, you long for more appreciation. No matter how much you are valued today, you long to be valued even more. No matter how much you are cherished today, you long to be cherished even more. No husband can love his wife enough, cherish his wife enough. It's impossible. No wife can love and cherish her husband enough. There's always something inside of us that longs for more. That's the way that we were created. That's the way we were designed and wired. The only time this love deficit will ever be fully, completely filled is as we drink of the water of life and are totally satisfied. The water of life fulfills the inner need. Spending that time with the Lord fulfills the need and the desires of our hearts. Revelation 22 verse 2 says, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. As we eat from the tree of life, we will be fully, completely 
whole once again. Every bit of mental scarring because we were in a dysfunctional world, all of that will be healed by God himself. All the love we fail to receive now, we will receive then from God himself. We will be loved by God. We will be cherished by him, embraced by God. We will be completely satisfied with God. God will be the source of our inner strength, and he will be the source of our strength there because we've made him the source of our strength in the here and now. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Sometimes you feel tired here on this earth. I know at times I feel tired. I'm tired right now. <laughs> Sometimes you lack energy here on this earth. Sometimes you feel weary, but there up in heaven, God will give you an injection of divine energy and you will be like the energizer bunny, friends. You will just keep going and going and not get tired, the Bible says. God is going to hook you up to the, the divine energy machine, the tree of life which has perfect nutrition to, to fuel our bodies. And God will, and energy will flow through our bodies. Look at how the prophet Isaiah describes life in this new earth. He says in Isaiah 60, verse 18, Violence shall no longer be heard in your lands, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. Friends, violence and war will be gone. No more reports of terrorism. No more reports of school shootings or mass shootings or any kind of shootings. No more drug overdoses. No more things like this, friends. No more conflict. It will all be over. It continues. It says, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. In heaven you will hear the sound of joy and it will be the sound of praise, the sound of gladness. God's people will be rejoicing that, that the, the cares of this life are over and that they can spend an eternity with God and with their with fellow believers. Isaiah 11 verse 9 says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. They shall not hurt or destroy on his holy mountain. There will be no more death. Every threat of war will be gone we won't have any more threats from countries that want to blow each other up. None of that any longer, friends. Peace will fill the new earth, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Songs of praise and gladness will fill the earth. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. I'm glad, I'm glad friends, that there are some things in this life that we will never remember. We will forget about all the bad things that have happened to us on this earth. It's not worth remembering when we're gonna spend an eternity in paradise, friends. It continues, it says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. The best architects of the ages will be there in heaven. They will draw plans for your dream home at no charge. <laughs> I, all of the most outstanding building materials in the universe will be there and they will be at your disposal. You can have a house in the city in the New Jerusalem and you can have a house in the country. It will be wonderful. It continues, it says, they shall not build and another inhabits. They shall not plant and another eat. Does that ever happen to you? You plant your garden and something else eats it besides you? 
It happens, doesn't it? It happens on this earth, but in heaven, it will not happen any longer. Amen? For as the days, for as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. What about fellowship? What about friends in heaven? I think this is going to be one of the most amazing parts about being in heaven, is that fellowship with one another. One of the greatest joys will be seeing each other and, and talking and sharing and testifying to the goodness of God. Heaven would be boring if there was nobody there to enjoy it with, friends. Matthew 8, verse 11 says, And I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west, and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Imagine that. Sitting down with some of the great Bible heroes of old. People, imagine meeting Abraham. Imagine meeting Isaac and Jacob. Imagine meeting Moses and talking about what it was like to go through the Red Sea. Imagine what it was like to lead God's people in the wilderness for 40 years. Imagine, friends, what it would be like. Imagine meeting Daniel and talking to him about what it was like to be in the lion's den. That would just be fabulous, friends, to hear how he would say, I trusted the Lord. God sent the angels and he closed the lion's mouth. To hear it from him directly himself. It would be so wonderful to sit down with Daniel. Friends, heaven will be a real place of fellowship. Fellowship with the angels. Can you imagine talking to your guardian angels once we get to heaven? Oh man, they are going to have, we are going to have so much fun doing that. <laughs> All the times that your guardian angels were there to protect you and save you. Friends, I believe it will be a wonderful experience to sit down with, our, with the angels. To also sit down with the cherubim and the seraphim. To fellowship with the great minds of people that were in the Bible. Men and women of all ages. It's a place to fellowship with Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and the other apostles. But most of all, heaven is a place to be with Jesus. That's what it's all about, isn't it, friends? Is being with Jesus for all of eternity. Because one day, you and I, we will meet him. We will meet the one who died for us. We will meet the one who had nails driven through his hands and his feet. We will meet the one who wore a crown of thorns on his head for you and for me. We will meet the one who shed his blood for us. One day as we enter into that city, Jesus will be there to welcome us, and he will say, this is your home. Welcome home. Enjoy this beautiful place that I have made for you. You'll never have to experience heartache again. You'll have never, never have more pain. There will be no more tears, no more sadness. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, 23, that from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. They will come from the north. They will come from the south. They will come from the east. They will come from the west. They will come to fellowship with him on the Bible Sabbath. So it makes perfect sense for us to start worshiping God now on the Bible Sabbath. Amen? Revelation 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Friends, we have not been able to see the face of God like they did in the Garden of Eden. We will be able to see God's face. How amazing will that be when we're in heaven, friends? So wonderful. 
His name will be on their foreheads. One day, as we are leaving the heavenly temple, Jesus, I believe, will want to take a walk with each one of us. And I believe that he'll say, Walt, I want to take a walk with you today. Or he'll say, Doug, I want to take a walk with you today. And, uh, and as, as we take a walk with Jesus, he'll show us the beauties of heaven, the beauties of the new earth that he has created for us. And then I believe he will put his arms around each one of us as we're on that private walk with him. We'll all have plenty of time to walk alone with Jesus. Amen? <laughs> and he will put his arm around our shoulder and say, you know something? I don't have anybody else like you. None of the angels are like you. None of the millions of the redeemed are like you. I don't have anybody else like you. You are so special to me. I'm so glad you're here. You are so valuable to me because if I lost you, I could not replace you. And friends, he feels that way about each and every one of us. Christ came to this earth and he poured out all of heaven for you and for me. He, he did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were yet lost. He poured all of heaven out for you. He hung on that cross for you and for me. You are so valuable to him because if he lost you, he could not replace you. And he feels that way about you and I, friends. Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will make this earth over again and it will be perfect once again, just like it was in Eden. He'll give you a new body. You won't have to worry about the aches and the pains. You won't have to worry about any of that. He has great plans for you and for me. God's plans are far more amazing for you than you and I can realize. They are more exciting than we could ever imagine. God has so much in store for you and for me. Friends, I don't want to miss that. I don't want you to miss out on that. It would be absolute foolishness for us to turn our backs on him and miss out on an eternity with Jesus, an eternity with the, with the righteous, with the redeemed. One day soon, Christ will come and the, 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 the heavens will, will open up and we will see Christ come in the clouds of glory and he will take us home to be with him, going home where we belong. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more death throughout eternity. We'll be with our loved ones and friends forever, believing in Christ, loving Christ, serving Christ, having fellowship with him. How many of you want to be ready for that great day when he comes back? <laughs>